listening to the podcast edition of One Love, One Planet. And good morning and welcome to One Love, One Planet. Right, I am very, very excited because I have Caroline Dennett in the studio. Now, if you saw film of... um, a woman who was speaking about her resignation from Shell. That is Caroline. Good morning, Caroline. Morning, Penny. Morning, everyone. It's so good to have you on the show. So we're going to be talking to Caroline all about that um, fairly shortly, in about sort of 10 minutes, quarter of an hour. Um, Okay, so it's time for the news. Um, Obviously, it's just a tiny snapshot of news, but I thought I would link it in. Some of it, most of it is sort of linked in to to oil in some way. Um, Professional services firm Marsh McLennan will be arranging insurance for a controversial East African oil pipeline after other global insurers, Swiss Rex, Catherine is shaking her head, I can see out of the corner of my eye, AXA and Zurich all declined last year. The $5 billion East African crude oil pipeline, otherwise known as ECOP, is fast becoming a litmus test for how willing banks and insurers are to work on environmentally contentious projects. However, the involvement of Marsh is a boost for the planned pipeline. The project will cross multiple nature reserves and the basin of Lake Victoria, displacing households in Uganda and Tanzania across the stretch of the 1,450-kilometre uh, pipeline. It will turn Uganda into an oil producer for the first time. New York-based Marsh is backing the project, even as a num- an increasing number of banks and insurers are distancing themselves from it. J.P. Morgan Chase, Citigroup, Wells Fargo and Morgan Stanley have all ruled out any financing rule. Catherine, as I say, you were shaking your hand. Did you- yeah, I mean, you know, it's, it's just more craziness. It's the kind of craziness that Antonio Guterres has been talking about, economic and moral madness to continue to expand this industry, you know, especially you just have to ask yourself who stands to gain from that, you know, it won't be local people who will have access to, you know, energy for the first time, potentially, it will be us Mm. in the West, Mm. you know, in in the Mm. in the global North. And Mm. it just it just it saddens me beyond. I think that's the thing, isn't it? It, it, I think as soon as you sort of realise that it's all about following the money, all everything that the government does makes sense, like giving tax relief on new oil and gas exploration instead of renewables, because that's where the money of the, their networks lies. I mean, I, I, this is what I believe to be true. You know, that's quite a big statement, but hey. Um, and in fact, billions of pounds have been given away in a tax break for UK oil and gas exploitation. Um, and in fact, if that money had been used instead to do things like insulate homes, we could have insulated thousands of homes. I mean, I'm not quite sure how many, but saved, I think it's like something like up to two million households, a very large chunk of their, their energy bills. So it, yes, it does seem like absolute craziness. And also connected, ministers have been warned of potential power cuts to as many as six million households this winter. 
with the government reportedly drawing up plans for rationed electricity if supply issues deteriorate. Um, government modelling of a reasonable worst-case scenario predicts major gas shortages in winter if Russia cuts off more supplies to the EU over the Ukraine war. Um, Oh, and yes, another sort of related piece of news. This I got from Twitter, from one of the people I follow on Twitter, who is a Russian climate and anti-war activist, Arshak Makitian. Um, He said that the Russian army is now attacking um, solar power plants in Ukraine. So you have, as he said, it's so symbolic, a fossil fuel empire is attacking the energy of the future. Um, They can't win a battle, but they are losing the war. And this is the other thing, of course, that oil is at the heart of the things that are destroying us and have been destroying us for for decades. War and global warming. (laughs) I mean, oh, yes, it just seems to be such a no-brainer, doesn't it? And then um, last week, some of you may know about this, some of you may not, um, Three people were arrested after Shell was forced to pause its annual general meeting in London after it was interrupted by environmental protesters chanting. About 40 climate protesters attending the event as shareholders told the oil and gas companies board, we will expose you, we know who you are, we know what you have done, we will remember. Now, I have actually got some audio from that. Um, It's slightly chaotic and basically what you're hearing is a number of people who are genuine shareholders. That's how they got into the meeting. Uh, I think this was a, a meeting of um, big sort of national executives. And uh, they are all standing up and they are singing and they are also calling out their sort of protest statements. And then you've got people sitting down next to them shouting at them to sit down and go home and all this kind of stuff. So it is slightly chaotic, but this will give you a sense of what was going on. It was funny, that guy who just kept... No, you are. No, you're bad. (laughs) It was quite funny, but but good for them. Good for them. Um, uh, Right, I do have to just do some good news before I start talking to Caroline. Um, 
uh, and in fact, one is related, actually. Um, activist investors in both Exxon and Chevron bought several climate-related proposals to the company's respective shareholder meetings this week. And I think, so I think that might have been last week, actually. And one majority support. At Exxon, activist investors got a majority of shareholders to support a resolution asking the company to provide an analysis on how a decline in fossil fuel demand would affect it which should provide more insight into the company's plan to transition away from dirty, burning fuel sources. Meanwhile, Chevron shareholders got the big oil firm to start measuring its methane emissions. So it, it's such a good idea to, um, to become shareholders because then you get into those meetings. Um, and finally, I just wanted to say a bit of an update about um, the Tranmaya project in the Yucatan Peninsula in Mexico. Um, Catherine, I don't know whether you know anything about this, but I, we've, I've been following this on the show because I'm in contact with some of the people who are running this campaign on Twitter. Lots of stuff happening on Twitter. Um, and basically, the Mexican government is um, building a train line, which on the face of it sounds quite... It sounds like the Mexican HS2, basically. Um, and it is, at the moment, they just seem to be riding roughshod over the landscape without having done a proper environmental audit. And they are destroying these amazing underwater um, caves, the cenotes. They're absolutely beautiful. Um, but a judge, uh, I think it was a couple of days ago, it might even just been, have been yesterday, has finally put a definitive suspension on developing part of that line it is a mass it's a huge victory um because that will now obviously put the whole line um into question and as i say it's just they just don't seem to have done any environmental audit at all on it so that is really good news um have you ever done any work out in mexico at all no, catherine no, no, no i haven't right okay but, but can i just say something yeah, as we're talking do. about trains um you know nhs2 i mean just what a disaster that is you know ecologically it's absolutely terrible we you know we we should have seen that money going into improving and upgrading and electrifying the current uh, rail network and adding to our current rail network to connect local communities exactly. and uh, you know talk just very briefly talking about the line between Bristol and Weymouth so I live in Weymouth and you know that has just a terrible terrible service and it should be a no-brainer again to connect these two you know these two areas and the, the train line is so slow the average uh, speed is 27 miles an hour along that that train line you know which means it's kind of like two two hours and 20 minutes to get to, to Bristol from from Weymouth and it should be an hour you know so this is where the money should be going on you know upgrading infrastructure that we have and putting back in the lo the local routes that we lost you know during the during the 60s absolutely absolutely wouldn't it be wonderful just to hop on trains and just go everywhere by train it's just so much more pleasant yeah no quite right um right it's 20 past 11 you are listening to one love one planet and after the next song, I'm going to be talking to Caroline Dennett about her resignation from Shell that caused such a bombshell, excuse the pun, last week. Uh, her resignation speech went viral, uh, just completely blew up. And um, yeah, we're going to be hearing that actually after the next song um, and then talking to Caroline. <laughs> Thank you. 
think it would be a good idea before we start having a conversation um, for me to play what what was doing the rounds on social media last week? <laughs> did you did you have actually just quickly? Did you have any sense of not of the scale? What was going, no, no. Not the scale. <laughs> right. Okay. Right. Let's just let's hear from Caroline. So this this is what was going out last week. My name is Caroline Dennett, and this is my resignation. I've worked with Shell for over ten years now, empowering tens of thousands of workers to improve safety culture at their work sites trying to keep people safe, prevent oil and gas leaks and major incidents like the Deepwater Horizon disaster in the Gulf of Mexico. But today I'm quitting because of Shell's double talk on climate. Shell's stated safety ambition is to do no harm. It's called Goal Zero and it sounds honourable, but they are completely failing on it. They know that continued oil and gas extraction causes extreme harms to our climate, to our environment and to people. And whatever they say, Shell is simply not winding down on fossil fuels. They're expanding with new exploration and extraction projects against the clear warnings from scientists and dismissing the huge risks from climate change. And I just can't be a part of this anymore. I know I'm privileged to be able to make this choice and many people working in fossil fuel companies just aren't so lucky. But the fossil fuel industry, it's the past and if you can find a way out, then please walk away while there's still time. Do it now. Caroline, the, the bit of your speech that really made me gasp was the last five seconds. And it, it was that way you just looked to the camera and did seem to be speaking to people at Shell, just saying, do it now, get out. It was just, it was very powerful um, and I'm wonder, I do wonder whether that was one of the reasons why um, it did go so far. What was it like? Can you explain what it was like when you, after you posted that? What happened? Yeah, it was incredible. So simultaneously posting that, I sent an email to the Shell Executive Committee uh, with the resignation letter, um, asking them to look in the mirror and really, you know, look at themselves and ask themselves, uh, is their strategy for energy uh, production in the coming future you know is that really the best they can do is that really going to take us to a safe place so it was simultaneous so kind of, and then it went to 1400 employees in, in in shell as well so there was like a big this kind of like you know this launch and yeah it just it really it really took off it took off on twitter and it took off on linkedin and i have just been overwhelmed by by the response it's had over half a million views on linkedin it's I've it's been liked by 16,000 people. I've had hundreds of messages and resoundingly positive. And, you know, some people might say, oh, that's just the bubble. You know, that's just the, the climate act activist bubble. But actually, I've had messages from people who have been in the industry, who have left, who've told me they've left because of, you know, the lack of action on climate change. They've gone to work for more sustainable uh, companies, uh, people who who are looking to leave and not just oil and gas but you know other companies that they perceive to be greenwashing you know transportation companies who say one thing but do another so it's been overwhelming and it's been so positive that the love from people you know has just been humbling it really really has and I just want to actually take this opportunity to thank everybody who's put their voice to this including people who were not favorable you know including people who say we you know that I was wrong to criticize the the, the 
the company. But I just think, you know, we need to hear all those voices mm. because if we're going to change, we have to bring everyone along with us. And by listening to what the resistance is and what the objections are, that's, that's how we unlock this, this problem. Yeah, absolutely. And that was why I was so excited that you were coming on the show because you're from that industry. And it's the first time ever that I have been able to engage with other people from that industry, people who are actually slightly critical of you on LinkedIn. And we're not critical of you so much. It wasn't that. It was more well, how are you going to drive to work? And how? And I just, oh, all these arguments. And it's people, I think, desperately clinging on to a, a dying system, actually. They haven't yet sort of seen what's happening and the way it's going. Yeah. And it does feel like clinging on for dear life. Yeah. Um, yeah. And can I say, I get that. You know, yeah, I totally get that. If you've worked in that industry for 30 years, you've put your, you know, your heart and soul into that. You believe that you were doing a good thing. You're providing energy, you know, developing the world you know you were helping people to to work safely I totally get that and then someone comes along and slates that that's painful that's that's gonna hurt your pride and I totally understand that and I don't you know I don't call them out at all I just think yeah but you will you know they need to come to this decision in their own time and I really hope that by doing this last week it will be that conversation starter you know it will plant the seed of change and and that's that's what I wanted to do really yeah absolutely I mean I have thought every now and then if I was (laughs) if I ran an oil company I would I think every now and then I might have wanted to just pull the plug for a minute go there right see how you like it but of course that's not what we're asking for we're not asking for it to be done well we are we're just saying no new stuff and move shift across shift across right let's go back in time a bit um i just would love to know if you could tell us what you were doing at shell yeah what was your work yeah so i'll give a very brief history i'll try to keep it brief so in 2011 in the aftermath of the Deepwater horizon uh disaster in the Gulf of Mexico, you know, which was a terrible loss of life, but also just devastating to the, uh, you know, to the marine environment and the coastal environment. There. Could you just remind us, because some people won't know yeah. what that is. So yeah. just tell us very briefly. Yeah. So what in happened. 2010, there was uh, BP were um, doing an exploratory drill in the Gulf of Mexico and something went catastrophically wrong. I think, you know, there is a film called Deepwater Horizon. It's really accurate. Actually, it's a Hollywood movie, but it really describes exactly what happened. And basically, you know, the the crew out there working on that um, sort of uh, that, 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 that well were under pressure to get it started up, you know, to get it started up. And a series of things lined up that went wrong. Uh, so that when they did start up, including some some tests that they have to do, you know, in order to understand is the pressure right, etc. Well, you know, they did the test until they got the result they wanted, basically. And it blew, you know, it blew and just millions and billions of tons, barrels of oil, you know, just barrel after barrel after barrel of oil was pumping out of that for weeks and they couldn't stem the flow. So that was a major, you know, major disaster to all along, you know, the Florida coast, the kind of uh, Texas coast, you know, all along there, really devastated livelihoods, wildlife completely decimated and, and, and you know, there was a considerable loss of life uh, as well. But it's a, it's a really great movie actually to watch. So in the aftermath of that, Shell... Uh, who, you know, that didn't happen to them, but they recognised it could have been them. Luck, actually, you know, that it wasn't one of the others. They wanted some way of really understanding what are the behaviours at the operational front line that make that situation possible. 
And they wanted some kind of perception survey, you know, some way of kind of really reaching deep into the front line, not managerial tick box nonsense, you know, genuinely trying to get the voice of the of, of the workforce. So I was approached as a research agency to write a survey. I mean, I knew nothing about the oil and gas industry, and I didn't particularly want to know very much about it either in the sense of working there. But this was a really good opportunity to help people stay safe at the work site. They do a very high risk job and to prevent oil and gas leaks and that kind of incident so of course that's a you know that just seemed like you know win-win really but it meant working for a major polluter and I considered probably Shell to be a you know a dirty a dirty company in that respect but off I went you know we designed a survey um, which we took a long time to do because we had to read a lot of research around it we had lots of collaboration with uh, engineers and frontline workers from in Canada actually um, and Nigeria so we developed the survey we thought yeah we'll we'll pilot it we'll test it and that'll be it you know that that our job will be over because they'll take it in-house or they'll give it to some big, you know, big research agency. But they didn't do that. They loved what we did in terms of the analytics, in terms of really giving a, a hard measure on what needed improving. And I do take my hats off to Shell for, for, for having done that because it was courageous. You know, it's really hard for management, operational management, for someone to, to point to them and say, you know, this needs improving. You're, you think you're safe, great safety leaders? Mm, your people don't mm. think you're so great you know that's hard that's really tough actually and so we've done this for yeah for the last 10 10 11 years um all around the well i say all around the world i don't travel very often we do this remotely but we've engaged twenty thousand plus shell employees and contractors are at least half a million if not a million words of open feedback people have lots of opportunity to talk about you know what's on their mind in terms of safety and they've valued it you know they have valued it and they've 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 you know tried to act on the recommendations to improve improve safety um so yeah it's been it's been valuable work i've had some great colleagues you know people that are really committed uh to trying to make things safer but still things go wrong you know still things go wrong okay so you were doing this that, as you say, it does sound like it. As keeping oil in the pipe, yeah. as, as you said, I think, once. Um, and at what point could you take us through your journey of how you arrived at that very, very public... All that you've just said about Shell, um, and now you've, you've done this very public resignation. Could you just take us through yeah. that? Yeah. So, like I say, I was never majorly comfortable doing what I did. Uh, and I think because initially because of the pollution, you know, I mean, I was aware of greenhouse gas emissions, but not so acutely as we are now. And as time went on and the science, you know, became more public and you learn about climate change and CO2 emissions as well as other, you know, uh, greenhouse gases. And so it builds up and the conflict builds up. And, you know, it's probably been building really for the last four or five years, if I'm if I'm honest. But you balance it, you know, if I stop doing this, then that exposes people to the set. You know, there was genuinely good work uh, being done. Um, but, you know, as time goes on, the warnings from the, interna- you know, the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, the UN, the International Energy Agency, all saying the same things. You know, we've got to do a rapid transition. We've got to stop all new uh, exploration let's call it exploitation because that's that's what it is you know it's exploitation of what should be kept in the ground so yeah so uh, you know over time and i'd probably say the last few years that conflict has got greater i've become quite involved in climate activism in my own community and in, in dorset um you know and and you, you start to live a double life you know and that's quite that's quite hard that's quite hard to do um so did yeah did you ever find yourself um 
sort of slightly glossing over what you did as a job as a matter of interest no, no you completely because i always said to people enough, yeah. yeah i've always said to people mm. i work in the oil and gas industry you know mm. but that's that's given me a fantastic insight actually you know mm. when i've been campaigning on pension fund divestment for example you know across southwest action on pensions if anyone wants to look us up um you know I've, I've, it's been very powerful to be able to say to those pension fund committees that I work in this business. I know what's going on. I know what they're doing. And it is total greenwash, you know, and they are continuing extraction and that shouldn't be ha- happening. You know, so it's been, it's, yeah, it, that's been quite useful, actually. That's one of the things I wanted to talk about. But first, let's just carry on, finish this little bit yeah. of where, yes. Yeah. So I suppose, fa- you know, fast forward, lo- you know, lots of warnings, uh, in, you know, was increased severity and not just the warnings. I mean, we see it. We're living climate change, aren't we? I mean, this isn't something bad that's going to happen in the future. This is something bad that is happening right now by degrees, depending where you are. But I say even here in Britain, you know, we're not immune. We're definitely not. Where I live in Weymouth, we are you know, on the coast, all the all the predictions say that by 2030, the central Weymouth will be below annual flood level. You know, so it's it's coming to us. We've had wildfires in on beautiful Dorset heathland with so much loss of life of uh, species that were already protected and under a conservation uh, order. And you know, it's really it's happening. And I know it's worse in in other places, but we can't. It's like, don't look up, you know, it's like, don't look at you. Yeah, look up, look up and see what's going on. And I know, you know, for all the polls, all the surveys say that the British people are acutely aware of that climate change is happening and they're deeply anxious about it. What we lack is the leadership, mm. the political leadership, mm. the corporate leadership that will help us mm. find the solutions. And I think it's that, that, that takes me back to this point, you know, Shell are not part of that solution. They could be, but they're not. So I... To, to, to cut that short, last the end of last year, I started working on some projects for Shell that were extract new expansion projects, and I thought, I can't do this. It's one thing to see current operations, current production safely transition through. It's another thing to support a company that is knowingly, you know, setting out in Nigeria of all places. You know, that's already decimated by decades of pollution. It's unlivable. It's hell on earth there. And then I saw. In April, I caught a clip of uh, Extinction Rebellion's action at Shell HQ in London. They'd gone, gone into the foyer, they'd glued themselves to the front desk, and they were hold- someone was holding up a poster that said, Insiders Wanted, Whistleblowers Wanted, and I thought, yeah, this is it. This is the oh, opportunity. Because we had somebody, Chloe Neldrick, came on the show. She was part of that action. Brilliant. Um, uh, so that was... So that was that was the sort of clincher, was it? It was. And yeah. did you get in touch with Excel? I did. Yeah, yeah. So Truthteller dot life uh, is the the website. There's a, a small group of people, a team of people there who who you know looking forward to hearing from people who've got something to say. And you know that doesn't have to be something salacious about the the, the industry. You know, not doesn't have to be kind of uh, you know something that has kind of like gossip value. Actually, real. You know, if you're someone who's in the industry or in an associated industry that wants to talk to someone about the possibility of getting out you know they will offer potentially career coaching you know like or just some just listen they will just listen to you you know and I'm glad to be able to support that going going forward so that was the clincher I kind of made up my mind I wanted to get out I was almost praying that I didn't have any more work coming down the line from 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 Shell or or any other oil and gas client and uh yeah when I saw that I thought yeah that that's the motivation I need okay brilliant 
Right. Okay. So now I would love, and I'm sure lots of people listening would love to know, is the talk inside Shell offices, is there a feeling, net zero, is the company genuinely working towards this? What? Where is the talk of yeah. genuine uh, transition? Is it happening? No. <laughs> uh, I would say not. I mean, probably the people who are working in the sort of like the PR, the marketing, the brand communications, and this is only, you know, this is only opinion of mine. I bet they are spending all of their time, you know, coming up with the messages and, and you know, greenwash, greenwashing messages. And maybe they believe it's true. You know, maybe, maybe it's not sinister and cynical. You know, maybe they believe it's true. But what I can say is this. I, you know, of all the people that I have ever connected with in Shell, 20,000 people in, in, in total over the years, there is, and that open feedback that people have the chance to type in, you know, what's concerning them around safety, there is almost no conversation about climate change. And that is startling. And as a safety culture and organisational culture expert, you know, that is my job. If it's not being talked of in the workplace, it's not happening. It's as, you know, it's as simple as that. Take safety, for example. You know, safety is talked about because there is a genuine goal zero ambition at Shell to do, you know, to do no harm to people and no leaks. So people talk about that. It's a lively conversation. People can't wait to tell you about their safety experience or what needs improving or what they've done. You know, that's a real lively conversation. Nada, nicks on, on, on climate change. Once at, in March, a manager said and we've got net zero targets to consider i mean that 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 is it so that's bizarre right i mean mm. that's that's so bizarre mm. and that says to me that it isn't happening mm. in the front line you know and someone asked me the other day said well would you really expect like a you know a, a oil, oil rig uh manager to have a conversation with their their workers mm. about and i said yes. yes yeah i would actually if that's the message that's coming down you know the line then absolutely and not just that but saying things like don't worry, guys, you know, don't worry. When we transition out of this, there's jobs. There's jobs for you because those skills, those offshore skills that you have, guess what? We're going to need those to build that yeah. offshore infrastructure. Your, you know, like they, what really annoys me so much about Shell and now, you know, they could have been part of the solution so easily. They've got the financial capital. They've got technological capabilities, you know, that, were, that are still pioneering and they've got human capital, they've got human resource, you know, they've got the three things that we need to rapidly transition. So if only they decided to do that, mm. you know, we could have been there. We could have been mm. there already. Mm. We could have been net zero today. You and know? this is where we get back to, once again, follow the money. Follow the money. The people at the top don't want to do it. I was reading yep. about, I wanted to find out if there's a company, a fossil fuel company, that has made the transition. And I came across a company called Ersted. Okay. Um, a Danish company who it looks like they have made the transition from being a fully fledged fossil fuel company to now from what I can see one of the if not the leading energy company in renewables and I was reading about the the change and they said that um, (laughs) interestingly what they did was um, it came from the top they decided that they wanted to transition and they made it very public at the same time as talking to all the staff and they said we did that it's like a public promise so that they so it's actually it's almost the opposite of what Shell are doing Um, Shell are just doing it to just keep everyone quiet by the sounds of things whereas this sounded this sounded like it was a genuine 
public pledge so that they would then have to do it. And they said that then when, when they took it to the workforce, there was actually quite a lot of resistance to start with. Um, but because they had made that commitment, that's what they did. And as you've just said, there are so many transferable skills yes. or when you think of it you know it's it, isn't it it's big engineering it's out at sea with wind power um there was like in fact i was looking up the list um i've got it somewhere yes i mean it, the list just goes on and on project management supply chain management civil engineering geotechnical engineering surveying marine engineering the list is endless and also as you say it's it, it, shell should be thinking about the future prospects of its employees because there's no doubt about it, as we heard with the news, the fact that banks now are starting yeah. finally to not want to invest. It's not where the smart money is going, is it? It is extraordinary. And the, yeah, I can't think of why else it would be other than, yeah, clinging on yeah. and not having the vision that's yeah. because that's yeah, lack of needs, vision, isn't it? Absolutely. I think there's a few factors. Lack of, lack of vision, definitely. You know, they're just wedded. They're just deeply wedded. And that's a shame because they were a visionary company back in the day. You know, they were a pioneering company. And, you know, the, you know we look back now and we know that, that it should have stopped a long time ago. But, you know, the, the fossil fuel industry has developed the world it has given us the luxuries and the comfortable life that we have here in mm. here, here in the west you know not everywhere in the world but there's that so they lack vision but also they haven't worked out how to monetize renewables and that's mm. the real problem you know they like expensive hard to get materials you know because it justifies their operations and i think actually you know what i think you're right penny they are becoming not a viable commercial outfit if you look at the British subsidy, the British government subsidies and subsidies from around the world, you know, they're, they're backed by subsidy. They don't pay any tax in the UK. I mean, this windfall tax is a joke. I mean, it really is a joke. And I, I could talk a bit more about that in a minute. So there, there's that. And then they're bankrolled by the big banks and by the big investment houses, you know, the, the pension funds, the insur insurers. So actually, you know, any company that had that going in, of course, could be, profit could be profitable, couldn't it? You know, if you're being supported by everyone so actually but if you and i am going to do the research on this in the coming weeks you know if you look at shell's revenue and, and profitability and you deducted all that investment and uh subsidy and tax break you know actually how viable are they they're just being propped up by the public that's it you know it's your money if you've got money in any of the fossil fuels, ask your bank, move your bank, you know, move, ask, ask difficult questions to your pension fund, because that's the only way. It's people, people power. You know, I very much believe in that. And, I, and we've seen it. We've seen the shift, you know, and that's thanks to thanks to, you know, activists and, uh, you know, and, and, and people like Extinction Rebellion who've, who've brought the message. You know, people might not always like the tactics. But they, they but clearly they can't, do work, don't but they? they? Clearly Look work. at that. Yeah, yeah, for you. I mean, yeah. it's these little switch points again, isn't it? And you seeing that placard, of, come and talk to us. Brilliant action, clearly. Well, so, yeah, well done, XR. Um, and so for people listening to this, I think you've already touched on this, really. If, if people, if you're listening to this and you work on an oil rig and you've, you're, you're feeling uneasy um, about what you do and you want to make the change. I mean, presumably, 
people who do that, they could, if they started having conversations at work, couldn't Absolutely. they? Absolutely. And then start talking to the managers and so on. Yeah. Um, and it's like you say, you want to get that conversation out there. Ersted, apparently, the, one of the things they're doing is working on a framework of transition yeah. and talking to governments so that this framework can, that, you know, all these skills, they're there. They don't have to reinvent the wheel. And yeah. if Shell could come up with a really positive vision, wouldn't it be amazing for people to get behind? It, 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 it would be. But, you know, I think there are some people now who don't want to get behind companies like that because they've done, mm. they've done so much damage, you know, and we can't mm. gloss over. I suppose a, you're right. You yes. know, yes. They, they could be part of the solution, you know, and yeah. I, I would encourage them to be part of that solution. But mm. I think for a lot of people, they, you know, they're, they've mm. done the damage, you know, mm. they're still doing damage. Mm. I mean, I've done a lot of work in Nigeria and it is hell on earth. In, mm. in the Niger Delta, you know, in terms of the pollution levels. And that's, you know, how do you start to do uh, reparation uh, for, for yeah. that damage, you know? So, and okay, I, you're yeah. right. So it's, it's, the sooner it's dismantled, really, and, and we well. have new other sort of other... And the beautiful thing about renewables is you can do smaller, local, can't 100%, you? 100%, yeah. And which is more resilient as well. It, it, it is. And I'm a big fan of that, you know, in, in Dorset. Um, we've got Dorset Community Energies who are... They start off as a small group in Bridport area. They're, they put up, uh, solar panels on a, on a school roof, I believe, and the community bought, bought shares in that. Uh, you know tiny amounts of money to begin with and they're connected uh they're getting the electricity from those uh, from those solar panels they get virtually free energy now and they're actually selling it to the grid and actually getting money back you know and there could be one of those in every every single town you know and and actually that is more more resilient and i think it feels more democratic and Mm. and fair Mm. um so but i think it will take all of it you know we do need the big the big players to transition now uh, very very rapidly and at minimum stop seeking yeah. licenses you know and yeah. the, a shame shame on the british government absolutely shame on the british government for in their energy strategy you know a couple of weeks ago saying that they want to you know look to offer more licenses i mean it is it is it is that economic and moral madness that the UN mm. have talked about. You know, it, it doesn't make any sense. It's ecocide. All. It is ecocide. It is ecocide. You know, yeah. it is. And, you know, I know they're under pressure from the lobbyists, uh, from the fossil fuel lobbyists to do this. But, you know, we have to resist. We have to resist that pressure because it makes no, no sense. You know, and I will just say this, you know, those young people who are really putting themselves out there, like with Just Stop Oil, and again, I know people might not like some of the tactics but they're least targeting the you know the the infrastructure fair play to them you know they're like they're like the frontline battlers in you know in the climate change fight and i think you know as a young person they they must be absolutely terrified looking looking to the future and i just think you know what fair play guys you know absolutely hats off to you for for Mm. taking this action because you know lots of commentators have said for all of us we have to do what we can do with the abilities that we have in the place where we are and that's what they're doing you know Mm. and fair play Mm. my heart absolutely goes out to those guys and also i think we owe a big thank you to you caroline for doing what you did because you have you have i'm sure you will have really really opened up a conversation that needs having hopefully lots of conversations what just very briefly um because i do need to do a couple of what's ons what what are you going to be doing now yeah so i i have uh, i mean i've had an incredible uh week of uh, communicating with people uh and yeah i've had some interesting kind of 
projects come my way which it would be great to give time to but you know I do still have a business to run and I need to earn, earn an income but I do have safety culture clients who are not in that sector I also have other clients and in fact one of my longest standing clients I started a project uh, earlier this year working on their sustainability ambition and they're taking a genuine approach they don't want to greenwash anything they've actually invited all of their stakeholders to kind of give their say on what they think the direction of the company should be including people who buy their products so you know that's really a great blueprint for what companies should be doing doing this in a genuine way Mm. and looking at you know what they can do rapidly and what realistically is going to take them a little bit more time to do that but to really get on with it you know and I just say yeah I'm I'm you know I will be focusing on working with clients who from now on who who actually get it and and want to get on with it Mm. as well I suspect you're not going to be short of work (laughs) (laughs) well thank you so much I honestly I am so grateful to you for coming on the show I'm grateful um, that you've had me. It's been, it's been, it's been Gert Lush, hasn't it? <laughs> Brilliant. It certainly has. Thank you so much. Um, right. I just need to uh, run a message from Zena Cooper, who came on um, a couple of weeks ago, um, talking about time to declare and these talks um, for cricket and sports lovers. I'm going to play her message right now because it's about something that's coming up very shortly. Good morning, Penny, and all you wonderful BCFM listeners out there. This is Zena here from the Bristol Dodos Cricket Club. I'm calling in to remind all you cricket and sports lovers that the uh, next Time to Declare free talk is on Tuesday the 7th of June, 7pm, at the Seat Unique Stadium in the Gloucestershire County Cricket Club. The title of this talk is called Fragile Earth where Rosella and Doug will introduce us to climate issues and how these will impact the game we love, but more importantly focus on solutions for clubs and fans both on and off the field. If you love cricket, you will want to be there. For more booking and information, uh, go to www.thenexttest.org. That's www.thenexttest.org. And we look forward to seeing you there. Tara. Tara to you too, Zena. Thank you. Um, yeah, that's so uh, that's time to declare those talks. They're, they're fantastic. Really good. I also did actually just want to mention there is a petition and it's to sign the petition to demand Shell executives stop seeking new oil and gas reserves and show us their plan to reach net zero emissions. I don't have the people who are running do you know who it is that's, no but i expect if people you if, know, yeah if you just it. put it in your search for it yes it will come up so i've signed it but i it was a name actually i didn't recognize and then when i went back to try and find it couldn't so that's a bit useless sorry but it is there yes um next week i've got amelia twine coming on the show and she is the founder of sustainable fashion week And Sam Sayer from BCFM is also going to be in the studio. So uh, if you like your fashion, then do tune in to, yeah, to hear about, hear about that. And Caroline, thank you so much. Thank you so much. Until next week. Bye bye. 